This is Isaac Morehouse. Welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. Today's episode is sponsored by FEE, the Foundation for Economic Education. The most common response from students after a FEE seminar is, why haven't I heard about these ideas before? If you're between the ages of 14 and 26, if you're new to economics, if you want to acquire the superpower of economic thinking that will help you see the world in a whole new way, join other top students, very bright young people, successful business leaders, great teachers, professors from all different disciplines and walks of life who all share the power of economic understanding and economic thinking and discover the relationship between personal and social wealth and the virtues and principles of an enterprising life of a free and vibrant society. Fee is a phenomenal experience, a phenomenal experience, I should say, that comes with no fee. Oh man, there's so many plays on words here. No, the, the cost of tuition for a seminar is $79. However, that includes meals and housing, but there are also scholarships that can cover that in the application, free application, and there's even travel reimbursement scholarships. So definitely check it out at fee.org, F-E-E.org slash seminars. This year in 2016, there are 10 different seminars with seven different themes in seven different locations. Again, ages 14 to 17 seminars, as well as 18 to 26. You can go to seminars on entrepreneurship in Grand Rapids, Michigan, basic economic thinking in Rome, Georgia. They've got conferences in Fort Myers, Florida, Orange County, California, Durham, New Hampshire, Austin, Texas, Clemson, South Carolina. Exploring everything from whether markets are just to how do markets work to how can you as an individual take that information and make the world better, make your own life better, and make the lives of everyone better and freer. Check it out, fee.org, phenomenal organization, phenomenal events, fee.org slash seminars. When you fill it out, put in there that you heard about it from the Isaac Morehouse podcast. I am joined today by Joe Sanak, who is a longtime friend of mine. Joe is a counselor, but he is not just a counselor. It's way more meta than that. He is a counselor to counselors. He is a consulting business where he helps counselors uh, launch and run and grow their own private practices. And Joe, uh, to me, I still affectionately think of him as Axel Rose because that, <laughs> that was his nickname when we had a band together because, you know, he was always showing up late and passing out after. No, none of that stuff is true, but that's what we called him. Joe, great to talk to you again. Isaac, awesome to be on your podcast. So um, congratulations, by the way, on your podcast, which is Practice of the Practice is the name of it. And it is, you launched it, uh, when did you launch it? 
Yeah, it was uh, 2013 is when I launched it, but in 2014 is when I really started doing it every single week, and uh, we just passed 100 episodes. We're up to 110 now. And you're the number one podcast in your category, is that correct? Yeah, for counselors in private practice. And then my other podcast, the How to Become a Consultant podcast, um, is a a five-day-a-week podcast, and that season is just wrapping up, um, and it's been going since July. Wow. So that's on not just... uh, So you're consulting people on how to be a counselor... Uh, or run their practice, but then you're yeah. consulting on how to be a consultant. Yep. yep. It's, it's always, that's one thing that I, I definitely share with you is that desire to always go like one step further removed and get, you know, don't give a man to fish, teach a man to fish, you know, raise the money to buy the factory, to build the rope, to build the nets, to help people catch millions of fish, you know? Yeah. So, um, so this is well, really and cool. that's and that's where I mean, so much more money is too, and not that it's just about money. And we'll talk about probably lots of different things today. But I mean, if you can, the counselors, you know, the average counselor charges, you know, between a hundred and one hundred and twenty dollars a session. So if I can teach them how to raise their rates and have a more efficient business, I can then charge more than a hundred dollars per session. I can charge five hundred dollars a session. Yep. Uh, and so, and then if I teach people how do you become that type of consultant that makes five hundred dollars a session, I can then charge them more than five hundred dollars a session. Yeah, you're getting all that all that leverage by being at a point that is a, a point in the funnel that eventually reaches so many more people than you could individually as just a practitioner. Um, so let's, before we get into sort of what you're doing with practice of the practice, which you can find practice of the practice.com, a lot of great material that Joe has there, his podcast links and everything. Before we get into that, I want to kind of get a little bit into your story. Um, you know, a little bit of you, you growing up in your sort of early years, did you always want to be a counselor or how did you kind of fall into that? And were you always sort of entrepreneurial and how did those two things emerge? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, when I look back, I don't think of myself as being very entrepreneurial. Um, I mean, I had a Kool-Aid stand when I was five years old, but I, and I employed like the whole neighborhood. And <laughs> like, now that I think about it, I'm like, I already had my little pyramid scheme yeah. like going at that point. But, um, you know, like I always wanted to be a counselor and do psychology. My dad's a school psychologist. I knew I didn't want to do school psychology. I wanted to do more kind of individual counseling, but I always knew I wanted kind of a unique bend on it. Like, you know, I always thought of like backpacking counseling. I ended up launching a sailing program where we did counseling on a sailboat. Um, but when it came to business, like I like 19 year old self is like laughing at me right now because I sold Kirby vacuum cleaners like door to door a summer before like college. And it was terrible. Like I sold two and a half vacuum cleaners and I just, how, like, how do you sell half of a vacuum cleaner? <laughs> well, okay. So I sold one to my parents and then I sold one to my parents' friends. And then I'm like going door to door and getting rejected. And I'm like, this is so lonely selling vacuum cleaners by yourself. So I got a friend of mine and I was like, do you want to just go sell vacuum cleaners with me? And she's like, um, what? <laughs> and I'm like, I'll give you half the cut. Like you're just like getting paid to hang out with me. She's like, okay. And so we sold a vacuum cleaner like together and like I worked on this like husband and she worked on the wife and it like, so we, we got, so you are an entrepreneur. You're always (laughs) pulling people into your schemes, (laughs) casting a vision and getting people to to work around it. So you, you did not think of yourself as Mr. Businessman. 
No, I thought that's what selling was. I thought it was selling a product that you hated and like using psychology <laughs> to make people that literally sucks. It sucked. It sucked so hard. <laughs> so <bad. laughs> it was <laughs> it was the best sucking vacuum cleaner on the market. So you can guess. Uh... Anyway, um, so yeah, like that's what I thought business was. And then you know, whenever I met business students, they were always these like frat boys that were like, "I'm gonna make so much money, it's gonna be killer." And I'm like, "I don't want to be you at all. Like this is terrible." And so that was like what I thought business was. And so then to now be teaching people about business, but getting to do it in a way that I find really authentic and life giving and matches my own personal moral compass. Like it's incredible because I had always thought, okay, you know, I'm a counselor. I'm only going to make 30, 40 grand a year. Um, and that is not the case anymore. Hmm. That, you know, it's funny when you, when we first met and you were, you were in college and you lived in this house with like four or five other guys and it was a very kind of artistic house. Everybody was sort of into music and pottery and art. And you would have <laughs> these these art auctions. You were always doing like, you know, fundraisers for different charities and things. You were you were involved in a lot of different groups and activities. But everyone in this house had like, a you know, a bit of a sort of hippie-ish, like back to the earth aesthetic. And I sort of saw you that way too, but all your housemates... They were like Joe. They called you Alex Keaton, right? <laughs> yeah, you yeah. were like Mister Business. Like in their mind, you were like Mister Mister Capitalist. So that that's clearly yeah. always been there to yeah. some degree. Yeah, they called me a uh, little Reagan. My my grandma actually. It's funny you say Alex. I had forgotten until you just said that that her nickname for me, like she would call me Alex because of Alex Keaton more than like any other name. She wouldn't call me Joe really. She'd be like, Oh, Alex. <laughs> so for our younger listeners, who's Alex Keaton? Uh, so Michael J. Fox's um, breakout role was in the show Family Ties in the 1980s, where he was being raised by a hippie couple that uh, I think they were married, but they did. They were just these hippies and he was a super Republican money kind of person. And so um, it was like um, two very different types of people living under the same roof. So uh, you went to school to become a counselor and that was something you were interested in. But you, as you said, you were always, you were always interested in putting some kind of twist on it, doing in involving it with some like outdoor activities and things like that. So what happened after you finished your schooling? What was your immediate next step professionally? Yeah. So in 2004, actually my wedding day and my day I graduated from my master's program was the same day. And so I went to my wedding. Um, always a smart move there. Uh, <laughs> and then we, we moved to Michigan's Upper Peninsula and I got a kind of standard first job out of counseling grad school. And so I worked at a residential facility, uh, made 30 grand a year. My wife was in school. We paid for that. That was about 10 grand. We paid off 10 grand in student loan debt and then lived off of 10 grand. And we lived in this really small A-frame like house where the window wouldn't shut in the winter. And we had to sleep with like hats on in our sleeping bags and um, like it was so small that Christina could touch one wall I could touch the other and I could put my hand on her shoulder like there's there was two windows and the whole thing and it, so we just lived super simple paid down student loan debt and I got some experience and saw what I really liked in jobs and also what I really hated and um, kind of just kept thinking like what's the next move here and after that, moved back to Kalamazoo. Um, there was an opportunity there uh, and joined a private practice. And that's when I think I really started to see, wow, there's something to this private practice. I really like the autonomy. Um, but I always knew like, okay, right now is not the best time because, you know, my wife was in grad school at that point. And we were still paying down student loan debt. We wanted to move back to my hometown of Traverse City. 
Um, and so it just wasn't the best time to kind of go full tilt into that. But I just started reading a lot more during that time in kind of a planning phase. And, and you, um, it's probably really surprising to people or they wonder how, how were you able to pay down student loan debt and live on a, on a pretty low, you know, an entry level salary anyway. Um, you've always had kind of a mind, you've always been very frugal and very in control of your personal budget. Is that something that is just wired into you or have there been books or influences or habits that you've sort of taught yourself to try to, to try to keep on top of your personal budget and finances? Well, I think what's, so what's really interesting now as an adult looking back on my childhood. So my dad, he's a psychologist, but also he's the first generation, oldest family of five. He was raised by, um, you know, parents that lived in kind of the Polish area of Detroit. They, you know, they were hard workers, but he was the first generation to go on to college and he got his doctorate. Uh, and so I think he really, and my mom, who she came from kind of your typical white, you know, kind of Protestant family, um, they both had really strong work ethic. And so I remember like in second grade when I wanted to skateboard, they're like, well, you got to figure out how to make half the money for it and we'll match the other half. Um, or if we like, you know, we're going to Disney world, we'd have a jar six months ahead of time, like put your nickels in there so that you have money when you're at Disney world. <laughs> and so it's like, you know, I'd get, you know, I'd make money and I'd put, you know, a little bit, you know, in my tithe, I'd put a little bit in the jar for Disney world and a little bit for my candy jar. And then it's like, that was always just like part of how as a family, we thought about money and all three of us kids like are really smart with our money. We really value money, even as we make, you know, a lot more money than we may have expected all the way through, um, it was just like, well, how do we make the most out of this? Um, and then also for me, it's, you know, having traveled, like, you know, you, Isaac, you know, you see the world and you see how much money it takes to live in other places where people are making a dollar or $2 a day. And it's like, for me to live some crazy extravagant lifestyle and to like live in debt when I'm in America, like it's just ridiculous. Um, I just, I think I ran, there's this uh, website called the global rich list, uh, net, and you can put in your salary and it'll tell you like what percentage you are richest of the world. And I think it's, if you make more than $10,000 a year, you're in the top 25%. It might be that it wow. might be $20,000 a year. Uh, you're in the top 25%. But if you make like 80,000, you're in like the top one or 2% of the world. And yeah. so, so when I think about like that, like our toilet water is cleaner than most of the world's drinking water, like to go out and just spend tons of money on just stupid things that aren't going to give me happiness anyway, it just seems really ridiculous. So it takes a lot of self-knowledge to know what does bring you happiness for, for you. how would you define, what are the things that really bring you fulfillment and that you're trying to, uh, get more of? Yeah. I mean, I think that for me, it's um, feeling like a good father to my kids. So I have two daughters. They're one and four. And so like last night, um, my daughter and I were playing a game and, you know, I read them books every night and I try to be home as early as possible and, you know, kind of block out time for my family. Uh, my relationship with my wife is super important and relationship with friends and family. Um, but then also now having autonomy in being able to increase my own income and affect the world positively. I mean, I just made a video for people that are in grad school and what they can be doing during grad school to help launch their private practice. And to think about all these grad students that when I was in grad school, like you never even thought about like, well, how do I launch a private practice? Hmm. And now to be creating tools that helps them genuinely improve their life, but then is also going to make me money. It's like, it's mind blowing that I can do something that I absolutely love and that I can be making, you know, such an impact on my financial bottom line too.
Praxis is proud to sponsor this episode of the podcast. Praxis is about living the life you want, living on your own terms, getting off the conveyor belt. What does that mean specifically? If you're a young person, high school, college age, you've kind of been taught that there's a conveyor belt. You sit down, you shut up, you obey the rules, you get good grades, and you'll be moved along and then eventually handed a ticket to a job and a house and two and a half kids and a bunch of debt. That's bull crap. You need to create your own life. You need to decide what you want. Look at the opportunities around us that are more plentiful than has ever existed in the history of mankind. And you need to get out and start exploring and experimenting. Stop doing things you hate. If you're bored in the classroom, if it's not bringing you any joy, get out. Engage with the world. Try some things. If you get accepted into practice, Praxis is a highly competitive, highly competitive program. But if you get accepted in, we will place you with an entrepreneur at a growing dynamic business where you'll be working 30 hours a week. At the same time, you'll be going through a series of professional development challenges to meet your goals that you've set out. You start the program and say, here's what I want at the end. Here are the tangible outcomes. I want a job offer. I want to launch an online business. I want to whatever it might be. We take that and use that as our measuring stick to decide whether we're doing our job. Our advisors work with you to reach those goals. They help you. They push you. They challenge you like a fitness trainer would. But ultimately, you're the one in the driver's seat. We provide you with an amazing curriculum, resources on everything from liberal arts topics like economics and history to business, entrepreneurship, life skills, and every, you know digital branding, building a website. It is intense, but it will change your life discoverpraxis.com. Check it out. mentioned a little bit. Um, now I want to get a little bit back into it, this transition, because counseling is one of those industries where it's, it's sort of easy, I think to fall into, okay, it's got a lot of, it's got a lot of sort of hoops to jump through a lot of certifications. You get your undergrad, you get your graduate degree, you've got to get a certain number of hours. And there's always kind of another level, almost like being a pilot. And if you just focused on getting to those next levels and not stopping to think like, wait a minute, I could run my own practice. I could build a business, not just gain a specialization. What was that transition like for you? And when did you first realize it for yourself and then realize that you could help others see that same thing? Yeah. So I'd say that for me, there was two really big shifts for me. So when we moved back to Traverse City in 2009, um, I knew I wanted to move my private practice up here and it was just going to be a side gig to like finish paying off student loans. Um, so in the counseling world, you if you want to take insurance, you have to get on what's called an insurance panel. And so um, like if you have health insurance, you have like preferred network providers that your insurance will cover at a higher percentage typically than out of network providers. So I was looking into that, but all of the networks were closed, which at the time I'm like, are you serious? Like I'm not going to get any clients if people just have to pay out of pocket, but I still want to open this. So I opened it up. But what I did is I looked at what's the average private pay rate for counseling and I dropped it by $10. So it was $80 mm-hmm. per session, started at $70 session. And then uh, about six months later, um, I was full enough that I was like, I had a waiting list and enough money was coming in. And I was hanging out with my brother, who's a business consultant. 
And I said, Pete, isn't it awesome? Like I have a waiting list. This is great. And he's like, what? Why is that awesome? And I was like, well, because I'm so busy. He said, well, so when people call for counseling, like, do they want to wait like two months for that? And I'm like, well, no. And he's like, well, then raise your rates. I'm like, that's <laughs> like, that's just ridiculous. That's Supply using, and demand. <laughs> I know that's just using people. And, and he goes, why is that using people? Like, okay, if someone said, Joe, do you have room to see me 45 minutes a week for a thousand dollars? Would you make room for them? And I'm like, well, yeah. And he's like, well, what about $500? I'm like, yeah. He's like, so it's not an ethical thing because you do it if they paid you enough. It's a how much are you charging thing? So I raised my rates to 120 like overnight. Um, and at that point, the rates were still at $80 per session. So now I'm like $40 above the average counselor being new to town. Was that so scary? That, it was, but then I got more clients <laughs> and then my wife got pregnant and she's like, you got to be home more. And I'm like, oh, but I'm full. So I raised my rates again to 150 um, and I got more full and, and then I just kept raising my rates. And what's great about that is I show up to those sessions and I am more than happy to show up for, for the kind of money that I would get paid. And the people, they come into it ready to work because yeah. if someone's got to shell out that kind of money or they're tapping into their health savings account, there's a level of commitment there that's different than if their employer or their insurance is just paying for counseling. That, that concept of skin in the game has been so valuable to me. I was talking to a uh, executive coach, somebody that works with you know CEOs and things and, and tries to help them improve their performance. And it's, it's sort of a, a business focused version of what you're doing for people individually and you know, he works with these executives and he says his process is he only wants to work with people who are fully committed to, to doing this. And so he says, my rate for a year is $50,000. You pay me $50,000 upfront, non-refundable. You cut me a check today. And he said, I don't do that because I just want to have the money all at once. I could spread it out. I could do all these different things. I could charge less. He said, I do it because that is the way that I filter the clients that I want to work with and who are at the level of commitment necessary. Once they've cut that check, they're all in and they're totally yeah. committed. And that's an extreme example. But I think that concept of skin in the game is really, is really valuable. And I imagine for you too, knowing that someone is paying you not 70 or $80, but 150 plus for that session you have, you, you feel like, okay, I really got to bring it. I can't just sort of ever mail it in. Not that you will before, but I think it, it maybe sharpens your awareness in some senses. Well, yeah. I mean, and then you have to provide over the top customer service. And so like my average consulting with people to meet with me once a month is $500 or, you know, I have people that are paying, you know, $1,300 a month to meet twice and then they get a couple of e-products. And so what happens is I have to like hundred percent show up to that consulting or to the counseling sessions. I need to be looking for how do I add value? So for example, I wrote a book called mental wellness parenting, uh, and I give that away to my clients. And so, um, I mean, it doesn't cost much to print your own book and to show your expertise, but all the things that in parenting, I was sh like repeating over and over. I'm just like, here, let me give you this read the book. It's going to save you like three sessions of time. If you just do the activities in here, they're like, Whoa, they, he just sped us up by a month by giving me a book. And I got a book and he wrote a book. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know? So, so there's all these things that if you demonstrate your expertise and then mix that with teaching other people how to speed up their process, they are going to be willing to then pay for that speed. Hmm. So, um, you sort of, realize the opportunity for yourself to do private practice, not just as something on the side, but to really build this into a thriving business. At what point did you say, wait a minute, there's all these counselors out there who are good at what they do, 
but they don't realize that they could be valuing their time higher. They could be getting more return. They could be launching their own practice or growing it. When did you decide to start to launch practice of the practice and start consulting others? Yeah. So in 2012, I was listening to this podcast. It's the Smart Passive Income podcast with Pat Flynn. And he talks a lot about building income that's not based on hourly exchanges. And I was thinking like, there's not really a way to do that in the counseling world that felt really ethical for me. And so I thought, well, what if I just start blogging about marketing uh, and what I'm learning in private practice? And really it was like, just to start a platform, the website was ugly and I didn't do much research on like whether there was a market or not, um, which actually I would actually encourage people to do just a little bit of research, but don't over research because I think I would have been intimidated by all the consultants. Yeah. That you're there are like, there. Oh, I can't, I can't create something cause someone's created something similar. That's it's a right. Very, yeah. Because like I look now and I'm like, wow, there are so many consultants helping counselors. Like, and, what was I thinking? <laughs> well, and a lot of their websites look the same. The products they offer the same is the same. Um, and because I like didn't know better, I launched a podcast because there was like mm. hardly anybody that had podcasts about counseling. So I'm like, well, I might as well launch one. Um, and I really enjoy art. And so a lot of my YouTube videos are more artistic or I have icons and you know eye-catching graphics that are, just don't look like the average consultants. And so by really letting my own unique personality come out and not getting intimidated or worried about what other people were doing, uh, I think that's what really helped people see me as a unique individual in what has become a very crowded space for consultants. So there's a mindset that I think is required to do what you did. The, the transition from, oh my goodness, look what I can do to grow my business. It requires a, a, I, I don't know, I would call it a paradigm of plenty, a non-threatening, a non-zero-sum mindset to say, I want to help other people do this. Because immediately a lot of people would think, great, I have the secret to how to grow my private practice. I don't want any other private practices because they're all competitors. I don't want them to know how to do this. But I think to be able to say, no, this is an opportunity to help them grow as well and to, to not see it as a zero sum, like someone else's gain is, is your loss. Are you just naturally wired that way or is that something that you've sort of learned? You know, I don't, I, I would say I, I'm naturally wired that way, but I think I've also learned it through experience. Like I don't, I don't like being in conflict with people. I don't like like worrying about what other people think. Um, and so for me, I think the analogy that I really like the most that I has kind of helped me conceptualize it is that of sushi. Uh, so I was thinking probably two or three years ago about how do I frame this out? And so I've used the example of sushi quite a few times. Like you think about any American town. So Traverse City, Michigan, it's this small town in Northern Michigan. If you would come here 10 years ago and wanted sushi, you'd go to probably some random Chinese restaurant. It would probably have sat there for a while. You might've got sick from the sushi. Uh, it wasn't that great. And so imagine there was someone new that was like, I'm not going to like collaborate with that sushi place and blah, blah, blah. Um, what's happened though, is that when people started tasting good sushi, um, they wanted more of it. So there became more exposure as people wanted it. And so now any small town in America, probably any grocery store in America, like has someone making sushi there. Um, if those in initial sushi owners had said, there's only room for one sushi hut here in Traverse City, like they would have missed out on, hey, if you expose people to the deliciousness of sushi, there's going to be more people that want sushi. And then we can all have sushi huts. Mm. Um, so for me, I think counseling is that way. I think consulting is that way, where if you just collaborate with people, if you help make them help them meet their goals, it's so much easier to reach your own goals because then you've got a network that expands beyond just your own abilities, but then goes into people that you're collaborating with's abilities. Yeah. And, and the beautiful thing too, is, you know, all the people you're working with, they all have something unique that they bring to the table. And if one of them 
is doing something really unique and, and even different from what you have done and they start to, to grow and excel, you are not threatened by that. You're actually a part of it and you get to be like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm on the same team as this person. You get to benefit from, you know, everyone else's growth and progress as well. So, okay. You launched practice of the practice. Uh, what was it three years ago, two years ago? Yeah, so the website launched in 2012, and then the podcast launched in 2013. And initially, I remember a couple of years ago looking at the the website, and we had chatted a little bit. Um, <laughs> you had, do you still do this? I remember you were. It was really interesting. I never seen anyone do this before. Very very transparent. You were posting your monthly income statements. Is that yeah. right? And as yeah. a way as a way to show people like how you've grown your practice and things. What made you decide to do that? So actually Pat Flynn um, from smartpassiveincome.com does that. And I thought, well, that's a really great way to teach what's working um, and also be transparent. So there was that side of it, but then also the side that counselors like never talk about money. They feel guilty about money. Uh, they feel guilty about raising people's rates. They have this mindset that if you raise like your rates, then somehow you're like Ebenezer Scrooge. Like there's no way to make money and be an ethical person. And I'm like, that is a bunch of junk. Uh, and so I wanted to just like attack it head on. And so, yeah, I still post my monthly income every single month. Um, in about a week here, you'll see November's. It was a 28 grand month. Um, so, it, it, you know, every month has gone up. Uh, I think I broke $10,000 a month in, it was, uh, I think April of 2014. Um, when I first started reporting it, I was making about a thousand dollars a month. And so, um, my mm -hmm. first $20,000 month was June of 2015. Uh, and then I've stayed right around the 20 to $30,000 a month range. And, uh, I imagine that's something that you like, what did your, your readers, your listeners, is that something that a lot of people have said, Hey, I love that you do this. Yeah. It's, it's one of the most popular categories on the, on the blog. Um, starting a private practice is probably the most popular cause that's why people are there. And then everybody's curious about how much I make. And so it's right there. <laughs> that's really cool. So would you say practice of the practice What's the primary uh, goal or, or the value it brings? Is it primarily pe helping people launch one for the first time? Yeah, so there's kind of three buckets that I put people in. So 51% of my audience are starting or launching a private practice. Um, I just did a survey about a month ago, which I would definitely, if you're in any space where you're engaging with an audience, do a survey to try to start to categorize your folks. So I have an email list that's aimed at starting a private practice, and there's an automated sequence they go through for that um, that leads into a member's newsletter that's $17. And so I acquire most people through different ads or blog posts, and they get on that for 50 cents or so is my acquisition cost. Uh, and then, you know, people will convert that way. And then the other, the next bucket is then growing a private practice. So people that, you know, they maybe have one or two people that work for them or they want to start to add people, they're pretty full, uh, but they want to kind of go to that next level. Uh, and then the kind of third bucket is learning how to become a consultant. And so the consultant school is launching in January. I've got that cohort set up. Um, so it's people that have kind of outgrown their practice. They're ready to add kind of that those bigger bucks and mm -hmm. they want to scale some things, maybe make an e-course. Um, I've got one lady that she's uh, doing like dating coaching and does evaluations of people's like eHarmony um, profiles, huh. things like that. But then she also does like larger scale kind of coaching um, a, a number of different kind of people that are doing consulting. So it's kind of like three buckets, but 51% of my audience is like brand new, wants to launch a counseling private okay. practice. Okay. And, uh, you've had practice of the practice in addition to the, the web content and the, and the podcast, you had an event, a conference. Is that an annual thing? 
Yeah, so we launched the most awesome conference uh, in May of 2015. And um, so it's limited to 35 people. We rent this giant house in La Jolla, California. Uh, we have food trucks pulling each day to feed people. We have poolside massage. We have sponsors. Um, our swag bag alone is usually worth over $500. Um, and then we have really in individualized marketing, consulting, business growth. Uh, and then we have time to break out of those sessions and actually get things done. Because um, we were all just sick of going to conferences and you have this big long to-do list, but you had no time to like work on it. <laughs> uh, so, Or to have speakers that they come and they speak for 90 minutes and then they just like disappear. So all the speakers have to stick around for the full three days so that um, you can catch them in line at the food truck and say, hey, I have a question about this. Like, what should I do? here and then let's pull out your computer and talk about like how do we optimize your website better and let's get it done right now um and yeah that was it was huge for all four of our careers um to just kind of get to that level of putting on our own conference um and that will be repeated you think yeah yeah so we're um we're selling tickets right now for the most awesome conference over at mostawesomeconference.com it's great for anyone that wants to learn business growth. It's all around kind of therapy and private practices. But honestly, we had people in other healthcare fields like occupational therapists, massage therapists, acupuncturists uh, that all came out to it also. Yeah. So, you know, you've done something so fascinating specifically because of the industry that you're in by by turning it into more than just you as a specialist providing a service, by being able to sort of um, increase the value of your time. And as you said, sort of get more of that passive income, but then to move into the consulting realm and, and to turn this into an entrepreneurial venture. But is there, is there something in, in the industry, in the counseling industry? Um, there's a fundamental limitation, I imagine. So, I mean, if you, even if you have maybe, you know, half a dozen people working at your practice under you and you can kind of coach them in your methods and things, but there's something unique that you bring into a session that someone else can't. So it's not, it's not infinitely scalable. How do you, how do you overcome that and grow a business beyond, you know, cause I think a lot of people who have specialties, whether it's in, um, you know, writing or coding or counseling, something that what they bring to the table is their sort of billable hour. How do you grow that so that it goes beyond you? So that if you never did another session again, your private practice could still grow? Because that seems like a real challenge when when you do bring something unique. What What is sort of your thoughts and advice for that? People who struggle with, with thinking about how to overcome that. Yeah. So I was on the Conscious Millionaire podcast recently with J.V. Crumb III, um, and he was talking about how what got you to six figures is not going to be the thing that gets you to 200,000 or 500,000 or a million. Um, and so the methods that have got me to six figures, like I need to shift uh, how I continue to move forward. And so thus far, it's been like a one to one where, you know, one person wants consulting. I work with them individually. Uh, kind of the next step for me would be one to many. So creating mastermind groups, creating things like the consultant school, creating more automated group communities where my actual time is less, but then the value you is just so big that people don't really care that I just show up for one hour a week. Uh, and so that's where I think that really looking at how do you still give immense value without it having to take up your individual time. And so that can look differently in any industry. Um, but I think that in general, if you're looking to kind of up level what you're doing, creating some sort of digital product is really just a great way to do that. So that could be something like a SWOT analysis, that could be some sort of white paper, um, a report that brings together a number of data points, uh, something that's really hard for someone to monetize. You know, people will say, okay, so I'm meeting with you for 45 minutes a month and it costs this much. Well, 
yeah, but you're also getting these 10 other things. You're getting my infographic package where you can then save time and put your own branding on it. I've got my paperwork package that usually sells for $200 and you're getting that. So these are all digital products that don't cost me anything that I sell maybe at a premium individually so that I can give them away within consulting to add the value. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and that is, and that is absolutely a mindset shift. I was recently listening to, uh, Dan Sullivan, 10 X, 10 X, what is it called? 10 X growth or something like that. The 10 X podcast. And he was just saying how, if you think in terms of two X, okay, I want to double my growth, whether it's business, personal goals, whatever it is, you're going to be beholden to the past. You're going to look at what you did previously and say, great, I need to do two times more of that. But if you say I need 10 X growth, you suddenly realize that's not doable. So now you have to look to the future and you have to imagine the future that you want and then work backwards from there and say, okay, what do I need to do to get there? And it kind of breaks you out of the pattern of just doing more of what you already were doing and seeing that as the only way to grow. It's a mindset shift, I think. And that's, and that's really powerful. Yeah. And I think that's where there's certain things that you're going to do that you're going to say, okay, for me, just to like learn some of these concepts, maybe for you, it is like two times growth. Um, but there is a certain point where you say, like, what could I do that just is totally different than what I'm doing now that might work based on what I've already learned? Um, and so for me, that was, okay, I want to have first a thousand dollar day. Okay. Then I want to have a $20,000 month. Okay. I want to see if I can get a $20,000 day. Um, and so what does it take to make a $20,000 day? Like you can't do that doing consulting. You can't do that doing counseling um, because you just have to work so hard. And so I then would have to create some massive launch of an e-product of, you know, some sort of pro other product, something that provides value. You know, if I can get 20 people to each give me a thousand dollars on one day, Okay, so then I work backward from there. What's something that someone would pay a thousand dollars for? Well, mm -hmm. let me think through. Okay, there's these things that might be beneficial to a private practice. Maybe it's that I have to start thinking outside of private practice clinicians. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I totally agree with that mindset shift. So what do you think is the biggest thing that keeps people who want to? Because not everyone wants to. Let's get let's get that straight. I don't, I don't think everybody wants to, or everyone's going to be happy as sort of an entrepreneur. And I don't I don't at all think that everyone has to to go that route. But those who say, okay, maybe I want to launch my my private practice, or I mean, maybe it's in a different field. You know, um, I want to not just work for someone doing this, do it on my own. What's the biggest hurdle, the biggest obstacle that you see with people who come to you and say, I want to launch a private practice? Um, is there, is there a, a common one or two things that you say, this is always the hurdle they need to smash through? I would say almost always. And I would say this is actually outside of just private practices. I would say with almost everyone that I consult with, whether they're counselors or they're doing something else, it's the being paralyzed by perfection. Uh, and so you think about when we're in college or in grad school or going through, um, something like Praxis, uh, we put in like all this work into our projects, into our papers. We don't turn in a paper till it's quote polished. Um, if you have that perfectionistic mindset in the work world, in the business world, in the blogging world, in the product world, uh, you are not going to be able to make progress nearly as quickly as if you say, okay, I'm going to get stuff out there and then I'm going to change it as I go. Um, so the idea of moving from being paralyzed by perfection to getting things done uh, is just such an immense mindset shift for most people. Um, but once they realize that they can get results with things that are 70% of their best or 90% of their best, or maybe it started at 50% of their best and then they went back and retooled it. And now it's 100%. But hey, I've got three more months under my belt than I would have had if I had just waited till it was perfect. Uh, that when they make that mindset shift, uh, it totally changes their outcomes of their business. Yeah, and and uh, I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned Praxis in that sentence because that's yeah. actually 
you know, we, we started with something that we wanted to be different from school in that regard and not having the sort of assignments and, and grading and tests. And, and it didn't, but it's shifted even more radically to now where, because because we want this to be an education that is not separate from the real world. So you're working, but even on the, on the curriculum side, we're working with participants and they set their monthly goals. And so some, so like for one month, maybe they want to build their website and launch it. And it's like, okay, blog every day for a month. It doesn't really matter. Nobody, no one's going through and giving you a grade on your blog post or editing it. Just the ability to ship it is such a big hurdle. Whenever I hear someone say, I want to launch a blog or I want to launch a website, but I'm working on it. It's not ready yet to be launched. And I say to them, I've never met a single person as an individual or a business who likes their current website. Nobody mm-hmm. likes their, it's never good enough. It's never there, but you've got to have it live. You can't wait till it's perfect because it won't be. And so it's shifting that mindset from getting it right to getting it shipped and getting it out the door is really, really powerful. And it's a, it's a huge, huge challenge. So yeah. do you think, do you see yourself expanding perhaps your consulting to maybe some other medical professions or other industries outside of uh, private practice counseling? Is that something that you're kind of toying around with? Yeah. So already uh, I'm teaching people how to become consultants. And so uh, that's you know, in, in any how, industry, not in any, just for counselors. Right. Right. And because I, I think that within the counseling industry, um, there's some people that I think definitely should be doing that. But if they're just going to like copy other people, it's like, well, like, no, do something that is unique. Um, so I think that anyone has skills that make them unique that you could frame as a consultant and doing that is not very hard. Um, and people can easily start to increase their income in that way. Uh, I don't know if this is a good time to give something free to yes, your audience. Yes, I was going to ask. Well, yeah. What, what, yeah. So I have this e-course that I used to sell um, that I want to give to your audience. Um, it's called Moving from Being Paralyzed by Perfection to Getting Things Done. So it's a 19-minute video with a 19-page download um, that takes you through three exercises that get you going. I actually walk through um, my old website and how ugly it was and talk about kind of the results I got, even though it was a really ugly website. So I use my own just kind of self-deprecating uh, conversation to to show you just, okay, so I had a really crappy website. Like I still was able to get things done. I still was able to launch a podcast. Um, and I walk you through some very clear strategies to kind of start to overcome that. What's the best way that I can share that with uh, the listeners? Sure. Um, it would be just uh, the link practiceofthepractice.com forward slash perfection. All right. I will put that in the show notes as well. Perfection. Got it. Um, that's great. So what is in the next, let's say just the next year, what are your next goals or big activities that are coming up? Sure. So I would say my biggest activity is the consultant school. Um, that's going to be launching in January. And so I've got the cohort that's going to be in a mastermind group. And then I still have some spots that are open for people that just want to do kind of the e-course side of it. Um, so that's in January. And then really it's refining what I'm doing. And so throughout kind of the first quarter one, quarter two, I'm going to be creating tons more content for that 51%, for that percent that is starting a private practice and growing one. So uh, I'm planning out an e-course that's going to be just for launching a private practice um, that really is able to help them structure it out. And that hopefully is at a reasonable entry point, but then also I can make some money on I'm going to give you two quick hit questions to wrap up. You ready? All right. I'm ready. So I'm going to give them to you at the same time. You can answer in in your preferred order. Uh, Question one is, what is your absolute favorite thing that you do of all the things that you do? And are you you sort of working to do more of that? And then question two is, um, 
give us a book or a podcast or a piece of content that you have really enjoyed that you think uh, listeners, even if they're not in in the counseling world, uh, might enjoy. Okay. So for the work question, um, is that professionally or anything? Really anything. Okay. I mean, honestly, like I used to love just being out in public with people all the time and super extroverted. I love just going home and playing with my girls <laughs> and like weird how that sitting happens? around in my pajamas. Like, <laughs> yes. so, um, like I feel like such a slacker, but I mean, I go so full tilt during the day, um, uh, and talk to so many people that at the end of the day, I just want to like snuggle with my four-year-old and one-year-old and like catch up with my wife and then like tuck them into bed. Like, so that's like my favorite thing in the world. Um, uh, they're such a special age that like, I wouldn't give that up for anything. Thing. Yeah. Uh, and then the book side, um, anybody out there that wants to grow either in a job that they have or as an entrepreneur, so that's anybody listening, should go read the book How the World Sees You by Sally Hogshead. Uh, what's amazing about Sally's writing is that she's a former marketing person turned like armchair psychologist sort of, um, where she has taken um, the idea of, you know, like the strengths inventory, the Myers-Briggs, all those things that we've all done but she's flipped it where it's when you're at your best, how does the world see you? Um, and it's just, it's been incredible. I use it with all of my team. You get the assessment as part of the book and I would recommend buying the the whole book so that you get the assessment. And then I bought a package for my team to go through th at Mental Wellness Counseling. And it has been a total game changer for us to understand um, kind of how we are when we're at our best and then also how um, other people are when they're at their best. Joe Sanok, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. You can go to practiceofthepractice.com. You can also find the podcast on iTunes. I appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk with us. All right, Zach, this was awesome. Keep up the good work. You too.